I want you to, if you would, to turn over with me to the book of Mark, the fifth chapter. And I want to talk to you about uh, obstacles to your miracle. And I want to just remind you about your God in Psalm 77, verse 14. The scripture says, you are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. False gods and make-believe gods don't have the power. You can go to any temple, go to any idol, you won't see power emanating from that, but God's power emanates constantly from Him, manifesting in glory. I often like to say it like this, if I look at a bird and he flies, or I look at a fish and he swims, and I look at a dog and he barks, I don't go, that's strange or abnormal somehow or weird. Why? Because dogs bark, fish swim, birds fly, cows moo, and God does miracles. Not because he's trying to prove his divinity. He's divine whether you believe it or not. He's God whether you accept it or not. But to underscore this point as we talk about miracles, say, I believe in the God of miracles. That's the key, not I believe in miracles. But I believe in the God of miracles. To understand fundamentally that it's his nature that we're talking about. He doesn't do them to prove anything. He does them because he keeps covenant, because he loves his people, because he watches over his word to perform it, to perfect it in us. That's the motivation. The apostles understood this in Acts 4.30 in their prayer meeting. They cried out and they said, Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. From the start of the church, they expected to see the miracle working power of God in their midst. And nothing has changed because our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He boldly proclaimed, I am the Lord thy God, I change not. So God still desires to do this. And I believe today, just based on, on, the, on the temper and what God has already begun to do in this service, His power is here. His anointing is here. His presence is here. And forget about your wood being wet. If you can't feel it, you've got petrified wood. You belong in the petrified forest out in Arizona because... He is here to minister. I believe he's stretching out his healing hand. I believe if you're in need, you can expect to be healed even while the, while the preaching is going forth. Expect God to do something in your life because he's the same. Let me help you out here about the anointing. Sometimes we can sense it. Sometimes we can feel things. You know how we talk about that as spirit-filled people. And sometimes there's a heightened awareness of that. That's really what that's all about. I want you to understand something about the anointing. When the anointing is present, then nothing's off the table. When the anointing is there, then everything is possible. So anything that needs to be done, anything that anointing can do, any burden that can be removed, any yoga that can be destroyed, it's within the realm of possibility because there's anointing here. Why? Because where two or three are gathered together in his name, there he is in the midst. He does miracles because it's his nature to do miracles. And Christianity itself is miraculous. Everything about what we believe is miraculous. When Jesus came to this earth as a baby, the Immaculate Conception was what? Miraculous. His resurrection was what? Miraculous. When he spoke this world into existence, it was miraculous. You know, when he comes back for us, it's going to be miraculous. And when you got born again, that was a miracle. And when you got baptized in the Holy Ghost and broke out into tongues, that was a miracle. It's a vocal miracle. Everything about us is miracles. It should be hard for us to believe in miracles. So be aware of that today. But I want to point out to you, uh, by looking at Mark chapter 5, that the biggest obstacles to that miracle or challenge to that miracle are not what's going on outside of you, it's what's going on inside of you. 
the inner things. So the enemy would try to use to somehow block or stop what God wants to do in your life. And how many of you feel like you haven't arrived yet, but God's not done with you yet? Do you believe that? You believe there's more to come? Come on, say, the best is yet to come. Tell somebody, I'm just getting started today. The important thing to understand is that, and this story points this out, there are some things that are going to try to hinder you receiving what God has promised in His Word. So I want to just start by reading the Scripture and talk a little bit about this man, Jairus, and his daughter. I want to uh, look at Mark chapter 5, and I'm going to just start here in verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by a boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And one of the synagogue leaders or rulers named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. Watch this. He's not just got Jairus and his you know, compadres, whoever was with him. But all this crowd is with him. Jesus is going with him. What does that mean? Something great's about to happen. That's right. Amen. Amen. Now, this ruler, first of all, it's a breakthrough that he would open his heart up to the Lord Jesus Christ in the first place. Because in various places, the synagogue rulers and the Pharisees and the teachers would reject him outright or try to trap him or resist him. This guy's opened up his heart. He heard something about this man, Jesus. And he went to him in faith asking him, to do something. And Jesus is complying. Jesus is going with him. You know, so far, so good. Look at somebody and say it. So far, so good. You have to understand also about this synagogue ruler that what he did would impact this particular story either positively or negatively. He was responsible for the physical properties and the buildings associated with the synagogue. He was responsible for everything inside, the implements of worship, the furnishings, everything. We understand from the tabernacle description in the Word of God that those things were holy, and if you messed with them, like a certain king from the Middle East, you got some writing on the wall, and it didn't go well for you. We understand that. They, they, those furnishings weren't at that level, but they were still treated with great respect, and they had somebody who was responsible for that. This man was also responsible for the public worship gatherings, you know, the organizing of the events, who might be the rabbi speaking that day, etc., etc. He would be in charge of rules and regulations and customs and laws. In other words, this was something he was charged with, and it made a big difference. They took this very, very seriously. And I want you to see that he has an opportunity in this story to make a wrong decision, to go down the wrong path. Just to illustrate this, let's talk about another synagogue ruler in Luke chapter 13 for a moment. Just go over there. And then we're going to, together, we're going to overcome all three of these obstacles. Can I have an amen? amen. Come on, say good amen. I'm going to overcome all three obstacles. And I'm going to keep doing it in Jesus' name. Because guess what? God's not interested in one miracle in you or through you. He's interested in a bowl full, amen, a pot full, glory to God. He wants to do in you and through you what he did in these days. And in Luke chapter 13, let's read this to you. And in verse uh, 10, on the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, so we know where he's at. If there's a synagogue, then guess what? There's a synagogue ruler. And a woman with uh, was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. Who did the crippling? 
This is demonic. Can you see this today, church? She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God, and the back surgeon just lost a million dollars in income. Now watch this next verse and see what I'm talking about. This is the synagogue ruler responding to somebody getting a miracle under his watch, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. Indignant means put out, disgusted, extremely angry. In other words, his idea of the rule had been broken. He said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. And if I'd have been a disrespectful parishioner, I said, we tried that. We've been coming here for, for years. No one ever gets healed here. I mean, the audacity of that statement, come and get healed then. Well, if we were getting healed then, we would already be healed. <laughs> the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. I'm sure they loved hearing that. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, a covenant woman whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day what, what uh, had bound her? When they heard this, all of his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. You know, Sabbath is, is, is something that actually benefits man. It's not supposed to hinder or bind man up. And getting water on the Sabbath is not a violation of the Sabbath. Healed on the Sabbath, it's not a violation of the Sabbath. These are rules they put on top of what Moses gave. And so what you see here is the example. That 99% of the time, this is exactly how the ruler of the synagogue is going to rule to anything that is out of the ordinary or traditionally unacceptable to their sensibilities, their sense of decorum, their sense of what the law and regulations are. That's why it makes so much uh, you know, importance in this story. How would this man, Jairus, actually respond in the story? Well, let's look at it. If you're going to overcome the obstacles, you're going to have to identify them and make up your mind today that you're going to be real, real blunt about this and real deliberate with this. The first obstacle you're going to have to overcome is religion, and you're going to need to learn how to ignore your religion. Because we're not talking about what God says. We're talking about the man-made rules and obligations and standards that have nothing to do with the Word of God, but their manners, their customs, their laws, their regulations, just like this man did in Luke chapter 13. That's the danger here. I want you to think about this word ignore because it's important to the teaching today. Now, we know what the word ignorant means, don't we? It actually doesn't mean stupid. That's not what it means. It actually means what? Lack of knowing or knowledge. You don't have knowledge about something. So, you know, there are a lot of us that have knowledge about certain things, but none of us know everything. Well, I've met a few people in the body of Christ that think they know it all, but that's another sermon. <laughs> Without knowledge is being ignorant. To ignore is something altogether different. It means you heard well enough the knowledge, but you rejected it. And there are some things you're going to need to, on purpose, take notice of and then disregard intentionally. 
This is the danger. Look, Jesus already said, I'm going with you. He was physically going with him. It's, it's amazing to me when these obstacles show up. They show up at that point of contact. They show up. When you begin to ask God to do something, intercede for God to do something, you know, that's just the beginning. You may be battling for a day, week, a month, or even years. Your job is to make sure that these inner obstacles don't destroy the potential of that miracle manifesting in your life. That's where the real battle is. So we're going to learn today to ignore, to refuse, or take notice, or acknowledge, to disregard intentionally. I want you to say this out loud, holy, ignoring. And when you do that to your parents, teens, that's not holy, ignoring. Amen. That's going to get you some holy discipline. Say it with him, holy, ignoring. It's the key to your victory. My... Uh, I was growing up, I, I heard my mom say this once, I heard her say it a thousand times, I just ignore irrelevant behavior. Amen. Took me a little while to, uh, to understand that. And then I gave me, became a pastor. And uh, I started to have supernatural understanding of what it means to <laughs> ignore irrelevant behavior. And she was basically saying this, you know, you know, that is not going to push me one way or the other. You know, I'm not going to let that thing, you know, do me in. It's not going to be the key to my success or my demise. It's not, it's not relevant. I'm not going to let myself be eaten up by that. There's a key here in this particular scripture. We could say the same thing. There are a lot of things that come at you at the point of when you pray in Jesus' name. Jesus is on the job. You're in a, a faith mode at that point in time. There are a lot of things that come at you, and you didn't have the same mentality. I'm just going to ignore irrelevant behavior. What you do, devil, what you say is not going to have a big place in my heart, in my thinking, in my meditation. Amen. You know what? You get to decide who gets to take up residence and real estate in your brain. And that's what the battle is all about here. So say it with me. Holy ignoring. There needs to be some ignoring of things. And the first one is your religion, your attitude that says this is the way it's supposed to be. Jairus has got a decision. Like, do I act like this guy, which I normally would have done, or do I act in such a way that I could actually see this miracle come to pass? He could have been as simply as this. This woman is interrupting the potential miracle for my daughter. How dare she step in the middle of this situation with her problem? Let's read on real quickly. You see, if you're not careful, you'll take the woman with an issue of blood and separate from the story of Jairus' daughter and miss the point altogether. They're linked here for a reason. Read on with me. I want to just uh, start out in verse 25. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Now, where should this woman be? She should not be out in the crowd. She should not be in the worship system. She should not be near the synagogue. She should be home. She is unclean according to that custom. Now, she's out there. And the Bible says she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. Some of you all know that doctor. And had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I touch, just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And the Greek actually says she kept saying to herself. She kept saying to herself, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. 
Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? I hope some of you are aware right now that power is going out right now in this place. Be a receiver of that. And once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, he turned around the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you. His disciples answered, And yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Now keep in mind, this woman is in proximity to Jesus, so she's in proximity to the synagogue ruler. And all the people, all the crowd that had come with him, and she, um, she comes and she falls at his feet and tells the whole truth. And he said, her daughter, your faith is healed. What do you think that daughter refers to? Same mindset, daughter of Abraham, covenant woman, you have been made whole. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Watch this. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, your daughter is dead. They said, why bother the teacher anymore? Hmm. I don't know about you, but I can see some people being very upset at that moment. Sliding right over into the flesh, full throttle. Starting to blame this woman or others for the situation. Overhearing what Jesus said, and the best translation of this is overhearing and ignoring what they said. You and I need to learn like Jesus, overhear things and ignore it. Some of you, when somebody's talking ugly about somebody else, you need to overhear and then ignore. Don't enter into. Can I have a better amen than that? Overhearing and ignoring what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to him, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him, and after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Tadithakum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to tell anyone about this, and he told him to give her something to eat. Live people need to eat. Amen? Now watch this. What are you supposed to ignore? First of all, your religion. Things that you have been trained religiously to believe since a child that may contradict the word of God. One is this woman doesn't have a right to seek the master's healing touch. That man, all he had to do was one, get upset with an attitude because she was interrupting the progression to his house for the healing for his daughter, or two, go off on her like the one in Luke 13 did. And I believe with all my heart, if he had, that would have been the ending right there of the miracle story. But he held his peace. He understood something else was going on here. Revelation was unfolding right in front of his eyes. He could have seen this as an interruption to the emergency situation, but he held his peace and he walked in mercy and humility and grace, showing mercy to this woman instead of judgment like the synagogue ruler in Luke 13, and was able to move forward in this situation. I want you to understand that we should honor and appreciate the foundations we've had as Christians. 
I kind of tore with and poked fun at my heritage. It's my heritage. I can poke fun at it if I want to. But the fact is, as a Lutheran, I was taught a lot of things that are still with me today. And a lot of people in my class of high school, for example, that did not have that, have had a lot of problems in life because they didn't have a foundation like that. What you're called to do is build on the foundation you have. And if something is wrong, you set it aside. Not big fanfare and accusing anybody and condemning people, just simply saying, I can't walk in that particular thought pattern because it's not consistent with Scripture. For example, if I held to the teaching of my childhood, I wouldn't be filled with the Spirit right now. I wouldn't have experienced the new birth. I would be confused about water baptism and communion. I wouldn't understand the walk with God as a personal relationship instead of a relationship with a church organization. There's a lot of things I would miss. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you today? And there are a lot of people that are blocked because of what they were taught. Well, maybe God put this on me to teach me a lesson. If you were listening carefully to Luke 13, you found out it's the devil that puts on. And not to teach you a lesson, but to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Your God has come that you might have what? Life and life more abundantly to the full, to the overflows. But I'll tell you, even in spirit-filled you know, realms, I see people that this stuff still comes out of their spirit. Where did it come from? Well, pastor, what do you do when it does? Well, I just pray and ask God what he wants me to do with it. But I'm telling you, when I'm teaching from the, from the word of God, from this pulpit, I have a responsibility to tell you the truth. God is good. And he is not your stealer. He's not your destroyer. He's given you everything. He is not an abusive parent. Things that people lay at God's feet, he'd be arrested in Kentucky for child abuse. And yet religion tells us that's perfectly acceptable for God to beat people up just to prove he can put them back together again to teach them something. Well, I wonder, this woman had this for how long? Twelve years. The other woman had it for how long? Eighteen years. Wouldn't you have thought they would have learned their lesson by now? See, religion has to be learned. It has to be memorized. And you have to be willing to say, you know what, I'm just going to go with God here. Jared says, you know, I don't know it all, but I'm just going to go with the guy who has the power in his life. And the truth in his mouth, I'm going to go with him and just kind of set aside my duty for a second and just walk with him. Because he could have lost it all right then and there. I don't know what's going to crop up in your life that's religious. I don't know what false teaching that was pounded in you as a child. You know, I don't know what's going to, what's going to come up at a certain time, but I can tell you this is going to try to rob you of God's best. You say, well... We're charismatics and uh, full gospel people. You know, we don't, we don't have things like that. I'm sorry, but yes, we do. In our magazine, it's called the Pentecostal Evangel, um, several years ago, on the front cover was a picture of somebody who was healed of blindness. On the back page was a picture of the story of someone else, and the writer of the first article said that God, you know, supernaturally healed this person. On the back page, they said God supernaturally made this person blind to teach them something. And I'm telling you that, that even in full gospel circles, you've got to be careful what you're chewing on. Yes. Pastor, what did you do with that magazine? I tossed it out. Yes. Because only part of it was right. right. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? My point is that he's either the giver of the blindness or he's the giver of life to a covenant child of God. Say, with me, I am a child of God. Being born again is a big deal. Being part of the family is a big deal. 
getting access to the children's bread is, is a big deal? Yes. Let me help you out here. How many believe that God will save anyone who calls upon his name? Isn't that what the Bible says? And what does Calvinism teach? That God has chosen sovereignly to save some people and not save other people. Amen. Some people are just, they're just out of, totally out of luck. That's it. They're done. And yet, we believe that if someone will confess the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't that what Romans 10 says? To believe in their heart and save with their mouth. We believe confession is made unto salvation. salvation. And, and how much do we believe that? We believe that so much that in 1914, this organization gathered together for the purposes of organizing to do worldwide missions, and that's still the heartbeat of who we are. Missions. Why would we do missions if God's just going to pick and choose who gets saved anyway? We do missions because we believe if we'll go and tell and someone will hear and believe and receive, they can be saved. Regardless of background. In other words, uh, we don't want to be Calvinists when it comes to the salvation message of God. But watch this, how easy this stuff slips in. To go around saying that the same blood that saved you is the same blood that heals us. Psalm 103, he forgives all of our sins and heals all of our diseases. That dimer is explosive with revelation. Then to say that sometimes God's a heathen and sometimes he's a giver of the affliction is a form of Calvinism slipping into a Pentecostal and charismatic mind. I preach and give altar calls and give time for people to confess for years now. And it is entirely possible that every single time I do, somebody walks out and does not accept Christ. That does not mean that God wouldn't have saved them. Same thing is true when you and I are believing God for a miracle or a restoration. We do not base, listen, we do not base our doctrine off of the things that we have observed. We base it off of the word of God completely and totally. That's the basis of our salvation. So listen to me. So therefore, it has to be the total basis of our doctrine of healing and miracles. Period. Now watch this. We, we can be minding our own business, just sitting in a Sunday school class or sitting in a, in a church service like this, and it's, it's highly likely I've already aggravated that religious devil. That's an anointing. Amen. Yes, it is. But when, you're, when that happens, you have a choice, just like Jairus at that moment. Do I go forward in the word or stay stuck on my religion? Look at somebody and say, ignore your religion. Come on, say it with a big booming voice. Ignore, Ignore your religion. If he had not ignored his religion that day, that woman still would have been healed, but his daughter would have been gone. Come on, turn to somebody else and say, Ignore your religion. You keep the word, but you spit out the bones of religion. Amen. Hallelujah. Say it. I'm a word person. And I'm not ashamed of that. The second thing you're going to have to ignore according to this story is you're going to have to ignore just a little simple thing. And I want to just say this the way I wrote it down. Ignore your fear. Boy, uh, that, that assumes that fear is real. It is, but it doesn't mean it has to get in you. You know, funny thing about faith, faith comes by 
hearing, but did you know that fear comes the same way? Fear cometh by hearing. And we just have this this miracle here. Jairus is there present for this woman being restored by her own testimony and by the words of Jesus, she's been made whole. And here come some members of his household to say to him, Jairus, she's dead, don't bother the teacher anymore. You know, it's amazing. People are so quick to give us the bad news and so reticent to encourage us. Instead of Jairus, you know what, here's the natural, but bring him on. He's the resurrection and the life. (laughs) And he heard that, and Jesus overheard it, and what? Ignored what they said and told him to what? Don't fear, just believe. God's saying that to some people today. Don't fear. Don't get into doubt, fear, and unbelief. Just believe. Believe. That doesn't mean the fear is not real. I see you, but I'm ignoring irrelevant behavior. You're not relevant to this story. I'm not going to yield to you. You're saying nothing's going to happen. Nothing will ever happen good in my life again. There'll be no breakthroughs, no victories. I'm talking to somebody. The devil is a liar. You're going to have many breakthroughs in Jesus' name. You're going to overcome what's presently happening to you. Ignore the irrelevant behavior. Make up your mind that you are not going to yield to this. And I'm talking about fear, but I'm also talking about all of its cousins. Like worry. Dread. How's the good one? Concern. I'm concerned. No, you're not. You're in fear. We're to be in peace. Jesus overheard them, and then he ignored it. It's amazing how many people will go out of their way to discourage you. But how many will go out of their way to encourage you? Say it, I'm an encourager. What do you need to do? Ignore those voices. Ignore the fear. Listen to him. Don't fear, just believe. There's a discipline that's involved in this, and it's the discipline of refusing to intake voices that contradict the word of God. This is supernaturally important when you get down to a battle that you have the right things coming in at the right time. Surround yourself with people like precious faith. Amen. Not telling you it's no use, just let him go, don't have him come over here, nothing's going to happen. No, we're talking about God here. I said we're talking about God here. Did you know he can do anything? Did you know he can do the impossible? Oh, you don't sound like it. Let me ask again. Do you know he can do anything? He does the impossible. Nothing is impossible with him. So don't quit. Ignore that religion and ignore that fear. A lot of people think that courage is is the absence of fear, but it's not. It's moving forward, doing what you're supposed to do, despite how you feel. Any emotion here could compromise what God is trying to do. But you'll find out that so many emotions that we have are tied back to fear. The what? The belief that something bad is either on the way, happening, or about to happen. Look at somebody and tell them it is fear. And you need to ignore it. Come on, say it, it's irrelevant. Say it, my religion's irrelevant. Say it, fear is irrelevant. 
But number three is just as important. You need to ignore your experience. What experience? If you're not careful, you'll make what you have experienced in life, your observations, what you've gone through, if you're not careful, you'll make that an idol. And you'll compare that to everything the Word of God says and throw the Word of God out when your experience doesn't line up with what you've gone through. Can I tell you something? What you need to do is elevate the Word of God and throw everything out that contradicts the Word. True story, I was called to go up to Carmel, Illinois and pray for a friend of the family and I drove up there. He was alive when they asked me to go and um, I stepped off the elevator and his wife met me down the hall. As I got, got off the elevator, there she was. Well, he, he's dead. There's no bother coming in there to pray for him. Well, you know what? Never stopped me before. But everybody said he was dead. He was D-E-A-D dead. And I have another call to come back to Murray on the same day and go upstairs and pray for a distant relative who's had ovarian cancer and it has spread and they weren't giving her any hope. And uh, as I'm walking through the door, she dies. The moral of that story is, if you're dying, don't call me. I have an anointing to get you to the other side. Amen? Just whoosh. If I'm not careful, I can build a theology around the fact that I had a twofer. Or I can base my theology on everything I've observed and heard. There are a lot of things I've heard that line up with the Word of God and seen, and a lot of things I've seen and heard that do not line up with the Word of God. And you and I need to ignore our experience because they're not going to help you in a situation like this. The observation is she's what? She's gone. The observation is the professional mourners are now there. What an interesting group. They're wailing and they're mourning. Is he here yet? Is Jerry? Okay, now begin. Let's start. The professionals were there. And then when Jesus says she's not dead, she's just asleep. See how quickly they came out of their mourning? Now they're laughing. Which is it? The laugh of unbelief. It's the same spirit when Sarah was told that she's going to have a, a baby in her old age. And you know what she did? She laughed. We do the same thing sometimes. All right, sure, that's going to happen. That's the laugh of unbelief. It's a manifestation. And what it says is, my experience tells me this. A lot of people in this world, I would say most people in the world are totally ruled by their experience, but a lot of Christians are too. And you and I need to be delivered from that. If we pray nine out of a hundred times and we don't see the result, we still base what? Our confidence on the word of God. I promise you this, your record will be better than that. But if you make experience your God, you're going to be miserable the rest of your days. Amen? You have to ignore your experience. I mean, what a boatload of things he has to ignore here. He has to ignore the friends that came to him and said she's gone. He has to ignore the physical sight. She's obviously dead. He has to ignore, you know, the, the mourning and the wailing. He has to ignore people laughing at the Lord Jesus Christ. What did Jesus do? The first thing he did very smart is he told the crowd, you're not coming. When he got to the house, he only took three of his disciples with him. And mom and dad... 
and put everybody else out. What a wonderful word for you. Some of y'all need to put some people out of your life, out of your realm of influence. They're not going to help you get the miracle. They're disturbing what God's trying to do in your life. We don't like to do that, but sometimes you just need to do what? Ignore and put them out. And I mean literally, put them out of your mind. Well, they did this to me. Put them out of your mind. They said that about me. Put them out of your mind. They're not worth your miracle. Don't you let anybody have that kind of power in your life where they can fill your mind with what we did and what we said and how we handled this. No, you put them out. The ones that would laugh at your faith, put them out. The ones that would get into a spirit of grief around you, put them out. The ones that won't agree with you, put them out. The ones that sold your name, put them out. The ones that discouraged you, put them out. The ones that stabbed you in the back, put them out. Put them out. Because guess what's going to happen when you get them out? We cannot be immersed and baptized in our experience and not see, you know, negativity and things go wrong. We put them out because on the other side of that, putting that stuff out, the power of God was present. Glory to God. Talitha Kumi. I say to you, arise. He's still doing it. Around the world, he's still doing it. What about America? America itself needs to be raised from the dead. Let's start right there. It's prophesied that America is going to be born again, again. He, he hasn't changed. Who's changed? His people have changed. He's unchangeable. His people keep changing and they're going the wrong direction. We need to get back on our believing and say, you know, he's the God of yes and amen. He's the God of the impossible. But can you see this? We're we're being influenced by our religion and our tradition and our legalism and our judgmentalism. We're being immersed, you know, by, by the fear and the worry and the what about this and the what about that. Can I tell you something? COVID was nothing but a big giant fear seed sown in the consciousness of this world. It was on purpose. It was strategic. You say with people, some of them, but let me tell you something, there's a bigger power than that behind these people. It's the one that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The master of misinformation, the master of abuse. And believe it or not, there's still people all over the country that are petrified to step into the house of God for fear they'll get COVID or fear they'll pass it on to somebody else. You need to ignore that fear. I said, life is precious. Life is fleeting. You have a much better chance of being struck by lightning these days. And your life, you're in covenant with God. That's between you and God, not you, God, and COVID. We're just 
It's all around us. We have to ignore that religion. We have to ignore that fear. And we've got to on purpose say, you know what? I saw this. I heard this. I went through this. It wasn't fun. I didn't enjoy it. But I'm not going to make it the basis of my faith and belief in God. I'm going back to that word. That's how I can to this day. I pray for people and I've seen them come back from the throes of death. I pray for people and it seems like they went on despite that. Amen. I've prayed for people and supernaturally things have disappeared from their lives. Bondages that have been there for years and years and years. I've prayed for people and some people actually got a little bit worse. Watch this. Since when is our confidence based on our results? Our confidence is based where? In the uncompromised word of God. This man is pretty impressive. First thing, I am going to publicly ask for Jesus' help. Then I'm going to, on purpose, set aside and ignore my religion and everything I thought was right so I can do what he wants me to do. I just got the bad report. She's gone. But I'm going to choose to believe anyway because the Lord is right here by my side. And I see it. I hear the sounds of death. I see the sights of death. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to continue to believe. I tell you, a lot of these, these people in the Bible that are, that are tucked away and seem so insignificant can teach us so much. And Jairus is one of those people. Thank God for it. Come on, say it with our heart. I ignore. Say it, I ignore my experiences. You can't deny them. You went through what you went through. But I don't have to give them power. How would I give them power? If you allow them to affect your decision making, your believing, your destiny, you've given them power. Amen. Now, Pastor, I don't got no religion. Just hang out in church long enough and one day you'll be sitting there minding your business and then you get all riled up at something you hear preached. And you look at the Word of God, yeah, that's what the Word says, but I'm still riled up. That right there tells you you got something to unlearn. And all of us have something. (laughs) It's okay as long as you're teachable. Amen.